Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. And welcome back to the Friday Habit, keeping it fresh and funky every Friday. <laughs> Mark, uh, you just, you got the perfect radio voice. You know, did anybody ever tell you you should go into podcasting? <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks, Ben. Maybe I yeah. will. Yeah, you should try that. Dude, welcome back. Thank you. How's it going, man? You you went on a, an epic journey across the United States. I know. I know. It's like... 66 days straight of driving and going to national parks and camping and <clears throat> it was epic. Yeah. I, uh, I'm glad to be home. I don't regret a second of it, but it's also nice to be back, back home. Yeah. I could only imagine. Yeah. Well, Hey, I, uh, you know, you made it on some episodes here, uh, you know, using Starlink. So thank you, Elon Musk <laughs> for that. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but now you're, you're back in the, in the, um, the knapsack basement. The basement studio. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, hey, I'm excited for today's guest. Uh, we have uh, Milan Kordestani, a 24-year-old social entrepreneur, author, and startup founder. And um, he's put out a book recently called The Civil Discourse, A Guide to Maintaining Civil Discourse in an Increasingly Divided World. But, I mean, he's got all sorts of other things that he's into um, as far as... Far as record labels and um, gig work and all sorts of other stuff. And so I just thought that he would be a great uh, well of knowledge for our young freelancers and entrepreneurs and um, uh, successful business owners. So Milan, welcome to The Friday Habit. Thank you for having me. Thanks for that great intro. Yeah. So, uh, you know, listen, you are a kid, man. You're 24 years old, right? I mean, you, but you have the, it seems like the, the business experience of a 50 year old. So, uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey and what got you into entrepreneurial endeavors and what continues to fuel you. Yeah. Um, well, definitely not the knowledge of a 50 year old, but, uh, you know, I, I like to think of it like uh, an ADHD brain. You're just constantly like you're jumping from thought to topic to topic and idea. And at the end of it, you just have this like great array of, I don't know, hopefully knowledge and experience. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, which is San Francisco, south of San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Palo Alto. And uh, I've I've always grown up with this belief that like as a, as a child, I wanted to be like a mad scientist, but as you know, I grew up with this belief that like with tech, you can build almost anything. And as I've gotten older and remote work has become so dominant, it was like, wow, you could even assemble teams across the world and you could be working from anywhere to build something amazing. And so um, I, you know, I started really early on as an entrepreneur, I started uh, breeding and selling rare species of turtles across America when I was like in middle school for thousands of dollars. It was crazy. Like I would breed albino turtles and you know, you'd sell an albino turtle to an aquarium enthusiast in Mississippi for, you know, fifteen hundred dollars. It was weird market at the time. But uh, now, where did that come from? Like as far as like at a young age, you know, what inspired you or how did you even like think to to start a business or do something like that? Like were your parents really encouraging to you in that or so 
They didn't know. I mean, <laughs> I, well, I mean, I, I got a pet turtle. I wanted a pet, like a normal teenage boy. I wanted a reptile, I guess. And um, now when I look back on it, I think that it was like a, a need for control. And like a lot of entrepreneurs love being able to create like a whole world, like an ecosystem that's self-sustaining. And you can do that really easily with a reptile. And so um, I loved that at first. But then as I started to learn about how to take care of a turtle, because it's more complicated than just buying it from the store, uh, I spent hours on YouTube and I basically started to learn that there's like this whole market of aquarium enthusiasts that like these turtles and they're rare to come on and um, they're hard to breed. But if you can kind of figure out the right incubation settings and, you know, just be really detail oriented, it's it's actually not that hard. And so uh, that's kind of where the passion came. I mean, you know, eventually when I got to high school, I was like the weird turtle kid. And so I stopped raising turtles. <laughs> You're like, I want to get chicks. I better ditch this whole turtle thing. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, the chicks turned to chickens. Um, <laughs> I, I started selling eggs and uh, raising chickens because that was less weird than, than the turtles. Um, but, but I'm saying like, where did this fire come from as far as like wanting to make money or like start a business or, or like what, what, what did you see or what was in your environment? Were your parents entrepreneurs? And did you like look at them and say, wow, they have their own businesses, their autonomy and freedom? Or, or were they, you know, what got you to that place, you know? So both of my parents are definitely entrepreneurial. Um, my mother is a founder. My father is not, but he's worked in startups um, his whole life. And so it's being around that mindset constantly of like, you know, you can take something from nothing and bring people together that have a, you know, a similar mission in mind and build that. And so for my mother, she's built this incredible nonprofit called Parse. And so she's been servicing the Iranian immigrants that um, come to the U.S. and has done an incredible job helping people find jobs, work through, you know, learning a new language coming here and settling and all of that. And so, you know, even on that scale, right, like from the nonprofit side of things, you look at it and say, wow, you convinced all of these people to put money towards this cause and you get all of these people, even some volunteers that don't get paid to come and just like drive a mission. And it's, it's pretty incredible. So I think there was something about that early on. Uh, and then the other part of the entrepreneurial drive is not liking other people telling you what to do. Um, and, and that was a big part of it for me as a young person as well was I was a uh, I don't know, a, a brash teen <laughs> mm. um, that wanted to have, you know, some control over what my work would be, what I spent my time on, what I was learning, because so much of that process is learning to be an entrepreneur. So, yeah, I, that's one of the things, you know, I have three kids and, and I just looked at them the other day and I said, you know, you can like be or do anything that you put your mind to. Like you, you like I feel like when I was young, there really wasn't anyone in my life telling me that I could be anything or do anything it was kind of like get a job and like clock in clock out pay your bills and you know go home and maybe do some vacations and i just i never want them to think that like i want them to have a wild dream and be like i could go do that or be that you know as long as i worked hard enough and put in the effort you know i could achieve anything that i put my mind to you know and i i just see you doing all these amazing things and and think like man what a lucky guy to have had a surrounding environment that like spurred him on encouraged him to just take risks and do things definitely um the environment made a big difference like i was 
it wasn't always encouragement to like be a startup founder, but it yeah. was like, even if you wanted to be a teacher, it was like, we came here and survived and left war zone country to like, so that you could just live and do what you want to do and build your career. And, you know, your career should satisfy some passion within you. And so it's definitely manifested into me doing a lot of different things. Uh, like, you know, whether it's the record label or it's technology companies now, or, um, you know, slowly trying to find ways back into the farming realm in ways that make sense. Uh, there is, you know, it's, it, it all feels like it starts to come together just by showing up every day. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you build one startup and, and now I can say like, I have a startup incubator and I have all of these different startups that have their own CEOs and go off and, and scale without me having to be the daily driver. And, and that's like a really cool moment. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. So you went from turtles to chickens. And then what was next after that? I'm really curious, like what the progression was. So with the chickens, I started writing and I kind of found my mm. voice as a writer about the agriculture industry. And I started pitching my writing everywhere I could. And this was like 2015, 2016. And it was like me as a, you know, 16 year old being like, hi, I am a youth perspective in the agriculture industry, Mrs. Huffington, and no one else on your publication has that like and there's no other publications like that that are covering this perspective and this voice um you know can can i write for you and so and i did that across publishers from forbes and entrepreneur and so on and uh, the first one that gave me a shot was ariana huffington at the huffington post and i just i found her email on twitter um, <laughs> was looking for you know new contributors and and so I started doing that and that gave me the first confidence, the first check mark to like, okay, my voice and opinion and thoughts matter. And um, from there, you know, I went, I went on to found my first real company. Um, you know, and I think that's such a key point as far as like taking that risk, right? You, you could have just said to yourself like, oh, well, I, I'm not going to reach out to anybody or no one's going to take me serious or nobody's going to give me the time of day. But you just had the confidence to say, all right, I'm just going to like start knocking on doors and see what comes of it. And I think a lot of people are hindered. You know, I talk a lot about podcasting and it's one of those things where people are like, well, I, I don't know if, if I could get guests. And I'm like, man, you'd be surprised that if you just email somebody saying, hey, I have a podcast. Would you like to come talk about your book or, you know, whatever it is you're in on my show, how willing and open people are to coming on, on your podcast. And, you know, we've been able to garner some pretty big guests just by reaching out and asking, you know, but I think that's the first part is like taking that action and then believing in what you're doing enough to say that, yeah, it is, it is worthy. It is worthwhile for me to, to pursue growth in this area, you know? So it's in it a lot of times though, it is fake it till you make it, you know, even like pitching, it's just like, okay, I know the odds that, out of these 10 I'm going to send right now, you know, probably it'll be like not even one will respond with a rejection. Um, you know, the other eight will just like open it and never reply. And so then you think, okay, well, if I do it a hundred times, I increase my odds. And so that's, you know, you just keep going. And same thing, it gets easier every time. Like, and even with creating content, I agree, it's, it's hard at first, but you start doing it and you start gaining some confidence and seeing it as a way that you have to improve your own skills to get the audience to come. It becomes fun. So writing is a big a big piece of what you really love to do. Is that correct? And writing like, is a uh, yes. I love writing. Do you have a lot of thoughts in your brain that you want to like get out and share with the world? I'm always curious about that because I feel like I'm always drawn to people who have a lot to say and are very opinionated. You know, but in the same way, like I don't always feel like I have the right words to say or to express what I'm trying to say or express the things that I feel. You know. I totally get that. And 
I had to learn because I'm I'm 24, right? So like there was a lot of like, wow, you're so young to be putting out a book. And every time my response has been, uh, it's because I'm young that me talking about these subject matters is important. If I was talking about them at an older age, it would it would be more normal, right? But because I'm talking about it with my stories and my perspective, it now becomes more relatable to a younger reader, and now it gets them to care. And so that's the mindset. It's like my thoughts and my ideas might not always be the most novel to have ever existed, but the reason I still go out and I write in articles and I put out books is because my perspective, uh, you know, it will reach my audience and it will help someone understand a topic in a way that they haven't before, and that's value. So the process, of course, is like how do you get your voice and perspective to resonate with millions of people? But um, yeah. you know, with like a first book, even having like ten people come and tell me what they thought on it, like when you can clearly tell they read the book and it resonated, it's a, it's a pretty amazing feeling. You know, tell me a little bit about you know, like you had said, you're 24 years old. Do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome where you're maybe talking with you know somebody in their mid 30s, early 40s? Uh, they're a CEO of a company that you are like a, in charge of, you know, how do you deal with that, that confidence or, you know, just being able to, to not feel like you're, you know, faking it, you know, I, and I like that saying fake until you make it. I always like to say fake it until you become it because over time, after you fake it long enough, you actually become the thing that you're trying to be, you know, and you're like, oh, and then you wake up when you're like, oh, I'm here. I, I actually know all about this stuff and have experience. Yeah. So I think with being young and the imposter syndrome, it's, it's really important to view yourself as like inspiring older people who have become jaded. And, and that's usually what happens when I start to think like, ah, oh, this person's not going to resonate with what I'm saying, or this person is going to say that it's, it's contrived or whatever. It, you know, it's saying like, okay, well, this person's also probably a little jaded if they're going to come out and start saying like, ah, oh, you're young, you shouldn't have a perspective on this and so on. Um, or I guess that's on the hate. The imposter syndrome is more on, it's like your own psyche telling you these things. So I try to retrain it and constantly give myself better affirmations. Like there are still tons and tons of problems that exist in the world today. I could, you know, the whole list of them exist. So if they haven't been solved by the older people, this is what us as a younger generation exists to take on. And so that's kind of the mindset. It's like we have a role to play and, um, you know, there's problems to be solved. There's problems to be solved and not to let like the, the imposter syndrome get in the way because, you know, everyone is no one until there's someone. So you got to just show up. Yeah. That's a good t-shirt right there. Everyone <laughs> is no one until there's someone. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you, turtles, chickens, writing. I want to hear about your first, what you said, quote unquote, real company was after that. First real company was, is this, uh, technology company called Auto, and it didn't start out called Auto, it was called Dormsey at the time. And um, it was the goal of helping students and colleges become freelance workers. Uh, I was seeing that all of my fellow students on campus either had student loans that they were trying to pay off while being a student, working jobs at like the student library or a local Starbucks, um, you know, or they were working like internships when they had, the, uh, they were focused on a job. and they would work internships that wouldn't pay them and that weren't actually giving them real experience. It was like, here, go shred some paper in the corner and go get us coffee. And so it became this moment of like clarity for me where I was working as a freelancer on different marketplaces and leveraging them. And I was thinking like, if I can do this, so can anyone else. And like 
part of the process of being a freelancer is you learn through experience. It's really entrepreneurial. And so yeah, if it became this mindset of let's try to help solve that for people. Let's try to help have a freelance work be the first job that most young people get in the pursuit of building a resume of skills. And so auto, that's A-U-D-O.com, you can go to it now and there's a whole guide that powered by AI that helps you identify what career path is best for you based on your personality, based on your past experiences that are on your resume, um, and even any skills you want to test out of. And we will basically start to not only give you curriculum that we think will augment the, the value of your resume to make you more competitive in the job market, but we will pull jobs that are available in the market and show you what the gap is between your current resume and being a fit for that job. So, you know, there's a, there's a real focus on cultivating a generation of freelance workers as like their first job. That was, that's the first startup I built, Auto. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think you're totally right. Like, for me, that's been my experience too when I did freelance. I think I learned the most doing freelance because I got to work with so many different types of companies very quickly. And like you said, it is very entrepreneurial because there's a lot of things you got to manage yourself. You got to figure out how to get business, all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, for as many jobs as possible, it would be awesome if you had more freelance experience earlier in their careers, for sure. And you also get to figure out what types of companies you like to work for, too. You know, So it helps you explore a lot quickly without getting a job quitting, getting a job quitting, which doesn't really look great on your resume, but freelance does. You know, I respect it. When I see somebody who's worked freelance, I'm like, okay, cool. You probably know how to manage your own workload and you know what you're doing. So yeah, that's, that's a really, really good idea. So Otto, and then... From there, you know, was that something that generated income and then you started other things or how did that work? How did you grow from auto to other projects? Yeah, so I didn't I didn't wait until it reached profitability to build other companies. Uh, I built my next company pretty much the next year because I had a co-founder and um, I just, I kind of knew like I wanted to build multiple companies and like the the fun for me is in that early stage of a company, not just like scaling a business. And so uh, that's the part where I remind myself like, hey, I'm 20, 22 at the time, like 20, 22, um, you know, like if the company has traction, you can get other people to believe in the mission and kind of scale it for you um, and, and who know how to do that. So that's what I did. I brought on a co-founder, Ahmed, who had been working in education technology for, you know, over 10 years and could help make a lot of the partnerships and scale the business. And so, um, yeah, that's that's what happened with Auto, and I'm still I'm the chairman of Auto. I still support the company um, as much as I can, but uh, they operate on their own. And you know, you can go to Auto now, and you can create an account, and you can go through that whole process I mentioned. And uh, yeah, so the second company I built is this company called The Doe, and it was in line with uh, me as a writer, just getting tired of all the contents that was being put out in the world, feeling like it wasn't deep enough, it wasn't authentic enough. And that there was this like looming cancel culture. So this was like 2019, 2020. And uh, this idea that we needed to be able to talk about difficult subjects and come up with solutions or find empathy for people when uh, they're, they otherwise have a very different opinion or different perspective or upbringing in order to create a more unified society, a society that's able to agree on things and be progressive. And so uh, I created this publication called The Doe where we would publish you know, narratives from people's lives, first-person perspectives, all anonymously. And we would verify who you are and uh, that the story actually happened to you, and we would publish them. 
and they were across a range. We had stories that were like, I'm black, I'm trans, and I'm voting for Trump. We had stories that were fathers talking about how they never wanted to have kids, and they did, and you know, they still struggle to find that, that love for their kids, and here's how they're surviving. And all of a sudden, you get a thousand people that come in your comment section on Instagram saying, me too, I'm a father, and I've been struggling with this. Thank you for showing me that I'm not alone and crazy, and da-da-da. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, we definitely sparked a lot of discourse. Not all of it civil, but that was that's the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. I yeah, and I, I definitely resonate with the concept of having some civil discourse or being able to talk about yeah, have empathy for other sides. And I think that's something Mark and I really care about is being able to actually have a good conversation without being so polarizing that you can't even listen to the other side. And I feel like that is one of the biggest problems we have right now, you know, in the, at least in the United States is the ability to listen to the other side and, and find some kind of common ground. So yeah, I would love to hear more about that too. Cause I think you, uh, the book you wrote, can you tell us a little bit about that? Cause I think it kind of deals with some of that. It does. So that the book that I published, uh, came from building the dough and wanting to share some of the stories and the learnings of building a publication focused on civil discourse. And what really what it turned into is a book uh, that is a, a set of tools to help guide people to be able to create civil discourse in their lives. Because what I've learned this whole process is I can build companies to try to scale this mission. I can publish stories. Uh, but really, it's individuals showing up to conversations in their lives better that makes a world of difference. And also us um, really pushing for that in our societies. Like in Colorado, there was a great example. I think it was the governor of Colorado and the governor of Utah. I just like started having conversations and talking about how they need to come together more and, you know, bridge some of this uh, division that exists between values. And and I think that's incredible um, to see that. And we need to see that more from, you know, our political representatives, like them unifying us, not not dividing us. Right. Well, yeah, because I think at the end of the day, as Americans, right, there's a I think there's a unifying like element of that, like we're Americans and we want like freedom and we want, you know, growth. And, and there's, I think there's so many things that we can agree on, but then I, I feel like mainstream media and social media really only make money when they can get people to get mad at each other. Right. And, and they get clicks and make us forget how much we do have in common as human beings and focus and hyper-focus on the things that we don't agree on and, and create that, you know, tension and a dopamine rush of, of anger or frustration or, or whatever that is, which is, is super discouraging. And I, it does feel though, like there is a, maybe like a pendulum swinging, you know, the other way where, where people are, are slowly waking up. I think there's this guy who's running for president right now. He's an Indian guy, um, a Vivek something. I mean, I think he's a, a you know, Republican, but he, I mean, the stuff that he says is, is kind of like, hey, that that doesn't seem like something Trump would say, you know. <laughs> like, and he he's just talking about bringing people together and finding finding common ground, and and uh, it, it's just interesting. So, I mean, I'm sure, especially with this next election cycle uh, coming our way, we're going to be bombarded with with all sorts of things that are divisive. And and that's what that bo- what the book is for is to kind of help people understand you don't have to respond to everything you see on social media immediately you don't have to feel like you have an opinion formed on everything immediately or that you have to be so reactionary to people um, it's kind of it, it's a book that ended up in the anger management category because that's really what happens <laughs> a lot of times when you get uncivil is like you let your emotions get the better of you and then you let your communication break down and and it all kind of devolves from there I fully believe that there is. Uh, 
a need to talk about the importance of this because you see it all the time at the political level. It's like, ah, the Barbie movie is terrible or uh, we can't stop, you know, mass shootings from happening unless we, you know, give teachers guns and so on. It's like, I really advocate for first principles thinking. Like, there's a problem. Let's assume we all have very similar values, which is like, we don't want kids to get shot in school. We want to have great education for, you know, young people and so on and start to come up with solutions there rather than at this like divisive level. Oh, I see the making of a of a uh, a next uh, leader of America here. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Were you born here in America? I was. Okay, you could be president then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it I saw this great video the other day that was like it was making fun of it. It was like the government's like Hey, guess what? Like, we have aliens. And it's like, everyone's like, we don't care. Like, can we put a regulation on, like, how old the president can be in this country? <laughs> yeah. It's like, everyone can agree on that. Like, that's something we do at this um, But it's like, but aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Like, it's come like, on. There's problems now. <laughs> it's so funny. I know. It's crazy. It does feel like a, a distraction technique for sure. <laughs> what are they trying to distract us from over here? It's, it's crazy. So uh, I would love, I don't know if you would be willing to, but I'd love to learn more about some of the practical aspects of how you're starting multiple companies and what role you have in each one. And then how do you find somebody to run that? How does that process look? And then do you do partnerships? Do you, you know, do some type of revenue sharing? Do you, are you totally hands off? I'd love to know how that works. If you don't mind sharing a little bit uh, with some, some of the companies that you've started. Great question. So Every company that I've started, it didn't happen with like this plan other than there was a problem that needs to be solved. And um, each time it's kind of like jumping in to kind of start building it and looking for people that can help solve that problem and talking to the relevant people to make sure that we actually have a problem and there is a market for it. Uh, so one of the companies that most recently I founded spun out of that company, The Doe. So we built this publication and we had this large technology team that was forming with all of these um, ideas on how to create civil discourse or tools that help foster civil discourse. And what ended up happening was we split the companies apart and we allowed that tech team to go become a new startup and the dough to exist as its own. And in the transition of doing that, for example, I had to find someone to come and build the, that com- the new company, Noda. Um, and so for that company, I, it's really the hardest part to find someone that believes in something as much as you and has the skill set and is willing to take the risk and all of that you have to knock on so many doors and have a lot of conversations with people is all I can say. And um, so the person who runs Noda, he was the previous chief revenue officer of the LA Times. uh, And he had been working at the Los Angeles Times, I think for like seven years. And it was one of those moments where it was like, he had been working in the system and was like, I know what this industry needs and I can't do it because I'm in this and there are pensions at stake and there are whatever, you know, and so it was like, great, I have this whole roadmap, I've designed a whole for, like MVP of what this product is going to look like, I have a small team, um, do you want to come lead this with me? And so in that scenario, it was clear I was hiring him to be the CEO and myself to be the chairman, but that's not always that clear. Like at uh, Auto, for example, that education career tech company, uh, it was the VP of partnerships that I had hired. Uh, when we started to need need content partnerships uh, beyond what we had, you know, he came in and was just so stellar, so great at like building culture for the team, and was just doing so much of 
you know, the, the job of a CEO that eventually it was like, this makes more sense, like, you know, for the company to have someone who is full time focused on this than just me who is split across different startups. And so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. That transition happened there. And um, slowly it became I'm incubating these startups, you know, and it, that's like me scaling what I what I do. And uh, it's been it's been really fun because I get to empower other people. I get to help pull people up. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So when you say you're incubating them, what all does that entail? Are you helping them raise like VC funding? Are you using the turtle money to fund them? Or, you know, like how, how do you help fund them? Like how do people get paid is, you know, how does that kind of stuff work? Yeah. So, I mean, one, we, we generate revenue at all of these startups. Like that's a, that's awesome. a necessity is to make money. Um, yeah. But after, you're right, after like the first year, after like the second year, it takes time to get there. Um, so initially, yes, it's like turtle money, money that I have. Um, investing in seed funding, and then eventually it turns into fundraising. And so basically, I describe the process of getting it an MVP live and people paying for it. And that's the point in which it's kind of like a handoff, where I'm still assisting, I'm making introductions to VCs and so on. But um, it's like, I'm in more of a supporting role rather than a leading role for the for the CEO that's in place. Gotcha. Makes sense. So you get some paying customers and then you get to a good spot where you're like, okay, this is solid. We can start talking to VCs and stuff like that. The moment where you feel you're at product market fit uh, mm. for the first time. And I say feel because it's usually not always it. You think you're there and it's like, ah, that, that we were just early bunch of customers and it's not that easy to scale necessarily. So mm. yeah, no, that makes sense. How do you vet your ideas in the sense of it seems like you're somebody who's constantly thinking of new things or seeing problems and ways to solve them. And you kind of mentioned ADD where you're just kind of all over the place bouncing from thing to thing. How do you validate an idea? You know, cause I feel like a lot of times uh, we all think we have like the next biggest thing or the next great idea. You know, Ben will come to me and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, dude, that's brilliant. That's going to be like a million dollar idea. You so know, supportive. it's like, <laughs> I love but that. then it's like, okay, well, how do we prove that out? Like to say that this is a million dollar idea, you know, and let's focus energy and time on doing that. Yeah, great question. So I almost don't respect my ideas that much. I, I start from a, a place of what is the problem that needs solving and who needs this problem solved for them. So that's usually where I start with. It's like some pain point in my life and I'm like, this sucks. Like, I wish there was a solution to this. I could probably come up with a better one. And then usually it's like that brain is like, ah, what if this works? Or what if that works? And and so, you know, then it's a question of like, okay, now we have to kind of figure out which of these ideas is better. And the easiest way to do that is to talk to customers. And I say customers before they're even customers. Like, you know that this market exists, get them on the phone. Um, there is a startup I'm thinking of building right now and I got on a call today with someone who has like a 400,000 following on social media um, just to be like, hey, I have this idea on how I think I can solve problems in your life, but I need you to tell me if these are real problems and if my solutions are actually going to help you or not and, mm -hmm. and if, how much you would pay for this. And, uh, and he was just like, seriously, like, that's, that's what you do? I'm like, that's, that's how you build a company. It's like, I, you know, I talk to you today and if, if you like this, then I go talk to the next guy and I find out, okay, maybe this isn't scalable and I got to tweak it a bit. And so, yeah, it's talking to people. That's the real crux of it and making sure that there is a market for what you want to sell and build. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of times, 
you know, entrepreneurs, they get an idea that they think is a million dollar idea and then they kind of build it in a silo, right? Yes. And then they, and they launch it and then there's no need for it or there's just not a market for it. And they're like, well, what's, what's the problem? I thought this was my big, you know, hit. And yeah. it's because you protected it too much and you didn't want to share an idea and you want everyone to sign NDAs and you didn't want to do any research to see if it was actually something needed that uh, you fail, you know? Artists, same thing. We see that today. Like, so one of the companies I have is a record label, which is less a startup. It operates more like a VC. But um, in the music industry, as an artist, like, if you can't build an audience, like, if you're like the type of artist that just wants to create albums of music and never show up for your fans, communicate, be it on social media, it's probably going to flop every time. Mm. And and that's the. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate. Like some artists hate that the music industry is like that today. But it's the same in building a startup, you know, or anything else. Like you have to bring people along the journey. They have to see it. They have to be a part of the input and the feedback because it ultimately makes the result a lot better. Hmm. That's great. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you like coming on the show and, and hanging out with us. And, and thank you for having you know, me. Sharing your knowledge and your, your uh, experiences with us. Um, you know, Ben's a, a fantastic note taker, as I always say, and he always comes away with a handful of great ideas uh, from the show. So, Ben, what were your top takeaways from today's episode? There were a lot, but I'll just cover my top three here. So one thing you said, Milan, was it can be hard to take risks at first, but it gets easier. That's really encouraging. Uh, everyone is no one until there's someone. And you also mentioned uh, to validate an idea, you need to talk to your customers first before you even build it. That's great. Those are really good. I'll be I'll be remembering those. Good. I'm glad. You know, we like to leave our audiences with a action item, right? So not just to listen, but just to take action. So if you could encourage a young entrepreneur or somebody who's starting out, um, uh, what would you tell them as far as like next steps or to pursue their dreams or or what whatnot? I would say stay really curious and keep asking the question of why a lot to yourself about like, why do I care about this? Why do I want to spend my time on this? Why does this matter? Um, because it's really important to know that'll keep you driven. And the curiosity also, it'll keep you motivated if you're just constantly interested to learn and grow. So, and that's that's everything for entrepreneurs is consistency. It, it takes a while, but just keep showing up. I always say consistency over a long period of time produces results. Yes, definitely. Where can people connect with you uh, online and uh, find more about the different things you're into? Uh, you could find me at Milan Kordestani on all socials or milankordestani.com and you can see links to all the different startups I work on and even my book. There you go. Uh, is a book on Amazon? Can, can people the get it? The book is on Amazon. It's called I'm Just Saying. There you go. I'm Just Saying. Go out there and, and get it. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the Friday Habit and spending time with us today. Um, I'll be curious to uh, follow your career and, uh, you know, say, I knew that guy. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for giving That's me right. the platform. Yeah. And, uh, you know, next time you, you do something, we'll have you back on and we can promote that and, and talk about it. So I think there's a lot more we could talk about here. I'd love to. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to The Friday Habit. Uh, for show notes for this episode, uh, you can go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find links uh, to our websites and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit system that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have a question or topic you want us to talk about, email us at hello at thefridayhabit.com. That's right. Thanks for listening to The Friday Habit. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs>